All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, And we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is that time of the week. It is Crypto 101 Podcast. I am joined here, as always, by my notorious co-host and best buddy, Mr. Pizza Mind. How are you doing over there, buddy? It is a scorching hot summer here in Texas, but I'm finally getting settled in uh, to this crypto winter, and it's starting <laughs> to feel kind of cozy. You know, this is the time where we really get to research, learn, and real wealth is built in market conditions like mm. this for those of you who put the time in and do the research and aren't scared out just like me and bryce so all of you listening you're in the right place and i'm excited what are we gonna learn about today oh man we are gonna be learning about a whole bunch of stuff not only just you know crypto specific stuff but we're gonna zoom out actually a little bit into even the internet of things which might be kind of a, a new terminology for some of our listeners who are maybe just pure crypto traders they're like i already know about the internet and i know plenty about things but but what about the marriage between the two and so we're gonna talk to garrett kinsman who's the the co-founder of nodal uh and garrett welcome to the show thank you for having me it's uh it's great to be speaking with you again uh, i love the new setup on on both your your guys side so <laughs> great to be here Good stuff, man. Yeah, well, why don't we just kind of jump in a little bit about your background? And, you know, I kind of want to preface this, you know, the last time we met, I thought it was, you know, it was kind of a uh, an epiphany moment for me because everything that you guys were doing prior to even the blockchain space, you you and Misha, um, who's your co-founder, everything you guys were doing prior to the blockchain space was actually kind of, uh, you know, what's it called, characterized on on the Silicon Valley TV show as well, which was wild to think about. So so tell us what that was, I, I believe, uh, and, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and how that all kind of came sure. to be. So we started in the decentralized space. So this was kind of before crypto, there was this kind of decentralized mesh space. And it was characterized by uh, BitTorrent, you know, music streaming apps, and an app that we were working on, um, it was called FireChat. So the Open Garden was the company. I had actually dropped out of school and, and got an internship uh, working with Misha, who is now my co-founder. And what we really did was use smartphones um, as infrastructure. So you could use your phone to send messages between your friends, all without the internet having to work. And so it was a really cool, like early foray into decentralization and 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 uh, this kind of space. And then as we were doing that, there were a lot of people that 
were starting to do this like weird crypto thing. People were doing Bitcoin and and colored coins popped out, which had then evolved into Ethereum. And so we really kind of saw the, the shift from decentralization into the crypto space, uh, which is really kind of uh, cool to see uh, firsthand being in San Francisco. So what we do now is we do kind of from these teachings that we had was uh, understanding how do we use these smartphones to actually build real infrastructure um, uh, that we can use for stuff or connecting things or connecting people. And as a result, kind of give away for anybody with a smartphone to participate in the world of blockchain. So we really want to be the way that the next several billion people on board to the blockchain world. Yeah, that's that's definitely a, a lot. But w- when people hear this, like, wait, hold on, connecting f- device to device without the Internet. So are we, you know, would that be just over radio waves or how does a mesh network actually kind of come together and, uh, you know, what is that just one on one level? So kind of in a nutshell, what we do is we use the smartphone that's in your pocket and we turn on the Bluetooth and we use that to connect and find nearby smart devices. So this could be appliances. Uh, this could be, you know, a Bluetooth device um, in a package or a sensor, like a smart meter. And we use that to move little bits of data. Um, so this crowd of smartphones, these people kind of work together to create this crowdsourced uh, network just to connect stuff, little tiny objects. But ultimately, these networks can become big enough that everything is kind of interconnected. And then you can turn off the the underlying internet and things still work. Uh, I think we're still a bit of a ways from that happening, but uh, that was kind of the underlying dream that got Misha and I interested in mesh networking and kind of wireless networks uh, almost a decade ago. And I remember Open Garden. And when I stumbled onto that, I thought this was the coolest thing. But yeah, it was very, very early for its time. I think you know, mesh networking is still really early now. Oh, yeah. There's several people in the crypto space that are hardcore about it and have kind of made their own. And it seems like different corners of the world are slowly like exploding with this mesh network. And hopefully at some point they'll intersect yeah. and be able to be interoperable. What do you think the time horizon is until we really have like a big worldwide mesh network of all of these Bluetooth and private Wi-Fi and satellite linked mm-hmm stuff all over the city. I mean, is this 10 years away, 30 years away, 50 years away for remote regions only? So we're, we're doing it with Bluetooth now. So we've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of smartphones running around today. Uh, We hope to increase that significantly before the end of the year, but we have this very basic Bluetooth network. Um, Again, it's only good for small amounts of data. We're using it mostly with enterprise customers, Um, but we've proven that this, kind of crypto economic model can work, which is really exciting. Um, In terms of how does this evolve into a future of, you know, huge hyper-connected objects and mesh networks spreading across cities, I think it's going to take probably three to five years to start to see this. Uh, We're starting to see uh, companies like Helium and and Pollen uh, build these kind of base stations, but it's expensive. Takes a lot of work. Um, it's it's unclear if the economics can work at scale because you're trying to replicate, you know, a big telco. The the beauty of nodals is just software. We take existing hardware and we kind of light it up. Um, but again, that dream of you know rooftop meshes providing internet for everybody is uh, is really interesting. Um, but I think it'll take more time, mostly because the today it's really hard to build hardware. Um, if I want to build a hardware box. It's going to take at least a year just to get the parts. So civilization is really not in a good place right now if you want to build custom hardware. And you really need custom hardware to do that high-level mesh stuff really well. So it's coming. Uh, And we think Nodal is really the first step to incentivizing these types of networks to grow and doing it just with software. Man, there's so much to unpack there. And it's like, Imagine if, you know, everybody's phones and Bluetooth devices, I mean, every, you know, everybody in the world kind of like has a smartphone. And like, I say that, like, not even, you know, like one of my friends went to Africa uh, a few months ago and he, he kind of came back and he was like, dude, I was so surprised that there were folks in these villages and, and they were just in, you know, you know, very little clothes, no work, just dirt everywhere. And he goes, they were on their freaking smartphones in the middle yeah. of the village. 
And and he was so blown away. And that was a huge eye opening moment for me where it's like, you know, Elon Musk, Starlink is going out. People are getting Internet in all these crazy yeah. ways. And so the, the infrastructure is actually there. And one of the things it's like, you know, Africa is actually, you know, they don't have any landlines, but they all have like smartphones. And it's like they kind of yeah. did like this quantum shift. And so what what, yeah. what I see from Nodal is just being able to kind of, um, you know, retrofit all of these devices that are everywhere with software that could allow, you know, truly peer to peer disintermediated uh, communication. And it's really powerful. But but why? Like, what's the purpose? Right. Get Let's you let's think about some use cases or, you know, yeah. I think people at home are kind of thinking like, well, we have the Internet. It works fine. Like, why do we need yeah. this? And what, what does it enable? So we get we get so excited by the technology. It's easy to go down these rabbit holes. Um, totally. So I'm really thankful we have a team that kind of pulls us out. Um, I was actually in India, just as a side note, I used to live in India, uh, for about two years, uh, for the launch of Reliance Geo. Uh, and so the internet, uh, the number of people that had access to the internet, uh, went up by like four X or something crazy. The internet consumption of India spiked because this company launched the largest 4G network in the world and gave away SIM cards. And so I actually witnessed this deployment of seeing people with no phone go from really high speed 4G that was almost free. So I have you know vivid memories of actually running through the Himalayas with my friends streaming Spotify because my friend had one of these SIM cards and you could be in the middle of nowhere in India streaming Spotify and listening to you know, no way. Some, uh, some, some crazy electronic music. And I realized, I said, wow, you know, this is this is transformative. Um, and again, like you mentioned, the rest of the world's mobile first. So, you know, people don't have, uh, you know, desktop computers, they're on their phone and building a product that is designed for the desktop is like, uh, you know, that's, that's so last decade. And if you look at the crypto world today, you know, you really need your computer to interface with crypto. Uh, you got to have a desktop, you got to have a ledger. It's, it's really hard. And so very few people are actually designing mobile first blockchain experiences. They're starting, they're starting to get it, but we at Nodal, we really want to be mobile first because we believe we can use this network we're building to onboard a lot of people. Now you mentioned kind of what, what does Nodal do? What, what are the use cases? And the first use case is what we call a smart mission. And the mission is use your phone to connect the things around you, kind of locate and connect. And our first product is kind of like an Apple AirTag, but for enterprise. And so our, one of our first big customers is uh, insurance tracking of vehicles. So they actually put a little Bluetooth tag in the car. And then if the vehicle's stolen, the, the owner can actually do a query through our network to help find that, that vehicle. And so it's really kind of an asset tracking use case. And we think we can expand that to a lot more devices. That was really cool. Now, when we think of Bluetooth, you know, maybe we have like a little portable speaker in a room or some earbuds in. If we walk to the next room, it starts to break up. By the time we get to the other side of the house, there's no signal left. Yeah. What kind of tweaks to this Bluetooth stack or there's any kind of specialized Bluetooth that you guys are using to allow it to work, you know, across an entire town? Yeah. So think we're very short range focused. So think about all the things that want to connect to the Internet but can't today because it's too expensive. So the, the cost today of you know, putting a Bluetooth tag into your device is about a dollar at scale. So anything that can generate a dollar worth of data will become connected to the internet and that price will just shoot down. And so think about like a shipping pallet or a, a smart meter you know, that's measuring your electricity usage. This is transmitting little bits of data. And then as you walk past with your phone, it picks up that data. This is something that's almost impossible or prohibitively expensive if you use cellular. But also, if you have hundreds or you know thousands of devices in a city that are all transmitting at the same time, then it the the it, basically they all start to interfere with each other. It's like everyone's shouting over each other. And so the short range of Bluetooth is actually a huge benefit because we can pack the number of devices that we can run in a in a city uh, to be much, much higher. And so we think that for a lot of things, like you interacting with a vehicle or you interacting with uh, an object like a door or a, a, a park object, um, it's going to be short range communication. It's going to be, you know, me interacting with you. 
and for that, you want just a short range connection. You want something that only goes a few hundred meters for privacy, but also just for making the network work. So we, th I think the future is really this kind of proximal connectivity. Um, and that's going to enable a lot of really cool stuff. So it's kind of like a game of telephone, but the information doesn't get lost from peer to peer because of the blockchain keeping it truthful. Exactly. Yeah. And we think there's this whole kind of anything that needs to be connected right away, it's going to have a SIM card. It just makes sense. But for things that just want to send a little bit of data, and even if it takes an hour or two for it to reach the cloud, that's okay. And we think that that could be a much, much larger subset of, you know, smart devices or IoT, Internet of Things, as people call it, than, um, uh, than the kind of classical, you know, high bandwidth connectivity. Uh, just because adding a SIM card is so expensive and it's it's a pain in the butt. I like to say, imagine going to your telco, the experience that you have with your phone going to a telco, and then you multiply that times a million devices. Uh, so it's really, really hard to uh, hard to connect. Now, where does cryptocurrency come in? And you know, you said something that was kind of at the beginning of the the presentation or at the, at the beginning of the podcast, and you mentioned the word incentivization. Mm -hmm. So, is that kind of why there's a cryptocurrency here? Is it in order to incentivize people? Hey, come on the network, uh, you know, connect to other devices, and the network will you know pay you crypto tokens in order to do that, or is there some other kind of concept behind it? So the blockchain or crypto is really important for two main reasons, for the incentivization and for security. So uh, when we had built uh, FireChat several years ago, uh, there wasn't really an incentive for people to keep their phones running and to keep this kind of mesh network of phones live. So, you know, these networks would form during events and they'd kind of disappear. Like the Burning Man one. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, there, there was no real incentive because messages aren't worth very much. You know, you and I, we're not going to pay to use a messaging app. Uh, it's already free. But if you look at these messages from machines, say, you know, analytics off of a refrigerator or a coffee machine or the temperature, this is super valuable information. And so we can use this, this demand for connectivity to incentivize anyone with a smartphone to earn a little bit of crypto. So what we did was built a, an app called Nodal Cash. And so you can earn cryptocurrency on your phone just by, you know, running the app. And by running the app, you're helping to connect these nearby devices. And so we call this the economy of connectivity. And this is really interesting because before this, we didn't really know how to make money with the internet. Uh, people are using ads. Uh, you know, all the big tech companies today are, uh, basically just show you ads and monetize you as a user. We're not interested in you. We want to monetize what's around the phone. We want to protect your personal data. And so this economy of connectivity is kind of this engine that drives the network. And then we use the blockchain to essentially protect your privacy and to protect the privacy of the devices that we connect. That's what's so cool is because we can prove you know, that we're protecting your privacy. We can prove that the data coming off of a, a sensor is authentic and is, is correct and then route that data. So we're just getting started, but we think there's a lot more that can be done in this space for for privacy and then protecting people's uh information yeah and I, I think this is kind of um one of the key hallmarks of web 3 right or web 3.0 versus web 2.0 yeah. how do you so like you know i think people are like man like i cannot imagine a world where i don't get ads in my apps like people just can't imagine that but is that kind of the promise of web 3 and if so, give us a little bit of color around like why that shift is happening and, and how. So we we think that the the incentive structure around advertising can be a bit dangerous because we've seen all of the products, totally. all of the experiences, even all of the laws, even all of the regulation around privacy is actually designed to keep these advertising companies alive. Because if you regulate them out, out of existence, then you know you don't have these big tech companies. And so it's a bit dangerous because you get these feedback loops uh, that may not be so good for your mental health, but may also not be good for civilization at scale. Um, and so we're thinking, you know, how do you shift people away from that? How do we actually protect your privacy? And instead of monetizing you, we monetize the fact that you have a really powerful supercomputer in your pocket and with a radio. 
and that this radio on the phone can connect to other things and actually create real value. So we, we think this economy of connectivity can be quite disruptive. And we're actually partnering with apps. So people can run the Nodal Cash app on their phone, but they can also run the Nodal SDK into a game or a video streaming app. And now instead of having to look at ads, uh, you just say, hey, do you want to share your Bluetooth anonymously? And you hit OK. And now while you're streaming a video, uh, you're actually helping participate in the network. And so it's kind of a it's a, it's a wild experiment in in shifting the economics of the internet, but we think it can work. And we think that this can be really transformational to how we experience the internet. And you're not alone in thinking that. There's many other projects out there that have that same mindset that are trying to run similar experiments, mm-hmm. not exactly the same, but if there are enough people think this is a good idea, uh, eventually it's going to become something. Yeah. You know, in 2020, the theme yeah. was mass adoption in crypto. Mm-hmm. 2021 was a year of interoperability. This year, 2022, the narrative is all about Web3. Is yeah. 2023 going to be the year of IoT or do you think perhaps all of the above? I, I think 2023 is going to be the year of mobile first blockchain experiences. Like if you look at where everybody's going, they realize that like, you know, I can't use Ethereum on my phone easily. No, it's a nightmare. Uh, you know, try using, you know, a token swap on your phone. I mean, it's, it's really hard. So I think everything's going to go. They're going to realize, okay, wow, you know, crypto is hard. Let's make it simple. Let's make it one click. And we're going to see all these really interesting experiences build out on the phone. If you look at Solana's quite literally building a phone, you look at um, all these apps that are, are these token projects that are coming out with apps um, so I think next year's 2023 is going to be the year that crypto becomes accessible for more people. I hope that we can set an example with that um, and actually create a way for anyone with a phone to earn crypto on their, their device. Because if you look at a lot of these other token projects that are kind of mobile first, say, you know, run to earn or play to earn, a lot of it is, again, based on advertising. You know, you walk around, those companies will sell that data and then they pay you in crypto. And so we're fundamentally different. We're, you know, you're connecting objects. We're actually protecting your privacy. And then uh, you earn crypto based on this network that you're building. So we we see that as uh, kind of how we stand out amongst a lot of these other projects. You know, you mentioned uh, the Solana phone. And I think that's a really interesting point to, to kind of come back to because, you know, they're not only in the business of building like blockchains and software, now they're actually coming out with hardware. And, and I remember from, from our past conversations, like, you know, you kind of started off as like a, a hardcore hardware guy. So do yeah. you kind of see the Solana phone? Like, what's the angle there? Are they like, you know, why are they doing that? I mean, we, we love, you know, hardware and we love phones. We were actually on the first HTC. It was the first blockchain phone. So HTC came out with a blockchain phone and we were, we were on that with the Nodal app. Um, I think what they're doing was pretty cool. Uh, it's hard to pull off, man. It's really hard to pull off a good, you know, mobile phone experience, and it's even harder to make money with it. And it's so, hard to beat Apple. I mean, that's their game. I mean, app, yeah, Apple's is like, you know, Apple is the most powerful organization in the world, and so it's yeah, it's really, really, really tough to build a good experience. I, I think the trick more is in the software and in the uh, the app experience, and until you really nail that app experience. Um, it's, you know, building a phone isn't going to do much. So I think the first step is really to build the most powerful app experience that you can. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi video lock, a smart lock, a 2k camera and a doorbell all in one. That's right. Three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry. So no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. 
It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months, but don't worry when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recordings, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24 seven. So you don't have to worry about any issues you have and it comes with an 18 month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, you could have the best phone in the world, but if there's nothing you can do with it, mm-hmm. um, what are you going to do? I remember, you know, a long, long time ago when Sega Saturn first came out, and this was like the leap from like eight bit video games into you know what was you know 3d or virtual reality at that time as what it was touted but yeah. there were like no games for it there were like no when there was like no one that we could build a game for it. and it was quickly yeah. you know gone as soon as it arrived so i, yeah, I definitely I, I, agree and you know we're seeing all these ecosystem funds now for these layer one blockchains where not only are they raising money to build their product but then they're raising a ton more money to help others build on top of it. And I feel like that's got to be the model going forward for success. So how do you incentivize more developers to come build? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply on nodal or include your SDK in their app. Yeah. So the first step has just been providing this mission to connect devices with Bluetooth. So kind of an enterprise Apple AirTag product. And um, this we believe is a great offering because it's cheaper than using a SIM card. Um, And uh, a lot of people have already have phones deployed in their enterprise they already have a lot of Bluetooth devices. So we kind of help connect the dots there. And we already have people that are uh, are integrating and we're in discussions with a lot more people as well. So uh, we think some real strong demand just around Bluetooth and kind of going into this year and into next year. Um, running the SDK is pretty straightforward, especially once we're listed. Hey, here's an SDK. It doesn't impact privacy. doesn't impact the user experience. And you get crypto. And people are like, it's hard to argue with that. Um, yeah. And so uh, uh, we, th- we think there's going to s- see a lot of adoption uh, with that. We've already signed a couple of really big names. ESTV is one. So they do like video game streaming and drone racing. And they're integrating our SDK to help monetize their app as you're just watching you know, a drone race. So you don't have to look at ads. And eventually they actually want to give that back to the user. So you know maybe there could be a way to do play to or earn to watch. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, th- that's going to be really interesting and i forgot the other thing you're saying yeah this this whole new economy of just like doing actions online and getting compensated for them as opposed to you know being monetized by these tech trends i mean that it's going to be the way of the future and it's almost like this artificial like ubi like universal basic income that's like kind of 
you know, not necessarily, you know, issued from the government, but it's like, Hey, like take back yeah. control over your actions and, and earn for playing your games, earn for walking. Like the, the, you know, one of my buddies is doing the step in, like you mentioned where he's walking, you know, two miles or three miles a day and he's earning cash wow. for it. This wow. is the future. It, I think it's the future, but you got to think really closely, you know, where is the underlying value coming from and make sure that they're super open about that. Because a lot of these projects aren't super clear about where, you know, where's the underlying value being created um, for that. And so for us, it's actual customers using our network and, and building upon it. I was meeting with one of our partners in, in France um, who will hopefully be able to announce soon. And they're like, yeah, you know, our, we, we detected a bunch of the, the beacons using our own, you know, we ran the SDK into their app, but we also had just nodal cache users in Southern France detect some of their devices, which was pretty cool. So regular people just with the nodal cache app were able to find this big company's assets, which is pretty sweet. Wow. So we also want to open this up to enable other types of missions to run on our network. So where can we go beyond just Bluetooth and actually leverage all the sensors, all of the capabilities of your smartphone that you know just don't exist on Ethereum or other blockchains? You know, you can have a server with all the compute power in the world, but it's not going to have a camera or sensors or a human behind it to do really interesting things. And so we think that that's going to open up a lot of fun use cases um, around that. And I think that's really where the world's going is humans and things participating together. It just doesn't make sense for so many people around the world to work a full-time job. There's not enough full-time jobs to go around. And the ones that are have people locked in there for, you know, 10, 12 hours a day in a lot of countries. And then everyone else is just struggling to survive, but they need an edge. And I think that's where web three and internet of things comes in when you can acquire things that help you earn the money you need to live and the resources you need to get by. And, you know, and this is not a new idea. There's an old, old website called Amazon Mechanical Turk. It's one of their least known services. But what this is, is you can log into their website yeah. and they have a bunch of tasks, like thousands of them that will pay you a few cents or a dime or a nickel just for completing something. And whether it's language translation or copy verification or doing text to, or speech to text or something like that, you can actually earn money like that. And then that's been already reinvented here in the crypto space by a few other projects. But yeah, I think that's the way going forward is getting paid by action rather than just by idle time where who knows yeah. what your productivity really is. And, and we like to say that the value of the data around your phone is much more valuable than the data that's on your phone. And in that sense, we want to protect what's on your phone. We don't want to, you know, harvest all your information. What kind of data is around our phone that we should be thinking about? So a, a cool thing to do is you open up a Bluetooth scanner. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of uh, generic ones, but I mean, anything with Bluetooth, you see coffee machines and you see, uh, I don't know if you can see my screen here, but this is just a, a this is right now scanning all of the hundreds of devices uh, here at our office. We yeah, that's insane. And it's just like insane amounts of everything as, you know, TVs and remote controls and, you know, off-road vehicles and scooters out front. I mean, it's just an insane amount of data. And maybe and, like a, an enterprise company would, would kind of want that data because they're trying to track like you should, sorry, usage statistics, or they're trying to look at certain patterns that, that are now going to be revealed by this new data. So we're careful not to give away data that's not owned by the owner of the device. Um, but people that have their own devices, yeah, like scooter companies finding, you know, scooter sharing scooters. And so they don't have to have a SIM card. We think that each human today kind of has their own bubble of connectivity. So I have a smartwatch, it connects to my headphones, to my laptop, but these bubbles don't really interact. And, you know, you have your bubble, your friend has your other bubble, and they don't really interact much. Um, you know, maybe you can airdrop a file between people, but what if you could really open that up? You know, what if you could walk up to a Tesla and it just unlocks the doors open and you get in and then, you know, now you're renting a Tesla. So these or are like these you're on your way home from work and you go past like a stoplight and then, you know, you already have something programmed where it's like every time I pass this landmark uh, yeah. on a Wednesday, you know, start heating up my oven at home or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I even pitched to to all the ride sharing companies. I used to work in ride sharing when I was living in India. We were competing with Uber. 
And I said, you know, shouldn't the system know when you're going to want an Uber or a Lyft? So, you know, the dream was you get out of the airport, you walk to the, the, the airport, you know, car place, a car pulls off, preferably a Tesla, or a nice car pulls up, the doors open and you just get in. And there's no, you don't have to fish out your phone. You don't have to like do all these taps, wait for a driver. It just works. You know, by the time you get off the plane, the API is called. It says, hey, Garrett just got off his plane. Route me a, a Tesla, you know, within 30 to 45 minutes, the average time. So we have all this data and we have all this, the, this, this information out there, but it's not being utilized. And even when it is utilized, it's not really protecting the privacy of the user. And so... Uh, we want to enable what we call data liquidity, where all these devices can kind of talk to each other and uh, and do so in a very private way so that we can enable really incredible experiences. Um, kind of this whole dream of, you know, augmented reality, um, but actually make it happen using a data that already exists. Wow. And so kind of kind of hearkening back to a little bit of the um, the infrastructure that you guys are built on. Um, I, I know recently there was you know, lots of big announcements. You guys won a parachain slot on the Polkadot yeah. network. And there's, you know, very, very limited amount of these coins. And basically for anybody who's like been on Ethereum, maybe you could think of that as like an ERC-20 version, uh, but it's on the Polkadot network. So so tell us a little bit about how this whole auction played off, what that meant to you guys, and uh, how are you guys liking the Polkadot ecosystem? So yeah, Polkadot's awesome. The kind of the way a auction works is you can think of connecting to a parachain kind of like connecting to the internet. So, you know, Nodal is its own blockchain. And then the Polkadot network is its own blockchain. And there's all these other blockchain products within the Polkadot ecosystem. Some of them connect to Ethereum, some of them connect to Bitcoin, some of them have cool features like DeFi. Um, and they all kind of connect to each other using the Polkadot network. And so in order to kind of connect, you have to stake a bunch of tokens. And uh, it's this kind of really big, lengthy process. And we actually competed against uh, another project. And it was like, really, it was the closest parachain auction that's ever been. And in the end, we won the community put together like almost $50 million worth of Polkadots, which is their cryptocurrency. And uh, we got our slot. So now we're connected to the Polkadot network and we can access all these other really interesting projects that are in the ecosystem. And it, we have this level of shared security. So if you want to hack the Nodal network, it, it, you have to hack the Polkadot network and all the other projects that are on it. So it's, it's a really powerful way to have shared security and, uh, and open access to some interesting features that we would uh, will hopefully support in the future. Yeah. And I was just going to kind of tack on there, like, you know, as, as um, Nodal's looking to get their SDK integrated in all these other applications, it seems like it would be an easy fit to go to some of these other applications that are on the Polkadot network and say, hey, you know, integrate our SDK. And, you know, you guys are going to be able to add some, you know, Nodal tokens to your treasury and you could disperse yeah. that to your community. I mean, that seems like a shoe in. Yeah. The, the problem is there's not a lot of blockchain projects that have their own native mobile app. Ah, so it's kind of crazy, you know. If you look but that at the top, changes. I, I think it will change for sure. But if you look at the top, you know, hundred, uh, you know, crypto projects out there, and if you look at the official mobile app that they launch, um, so this would be, for example, Solana having a mobile app, which they don't, which to me is crazy. Nodal comes in uh, within the top ten uh, of the the most. Uh, you know, native blockchain projects that have their own official mobile app uh, because there just aren't very many, which to me is insane. This is like companies in the early 2000s uh, not having a website. I was just going to say that. like, <laughs> like, yeah, like Solana or Ethereum not having an official mobile app that really just shows the world how it works. You know, they're not in control of their own destiny. They're leaving that to other other projects to build upon, uh, which is what they might want in some cases. Um, but we think that you know the future is mobile, and in order to be in control of your own destiny, you got to have a cool mobile app. It's just uh, it's just the only way. It's such a moment where you just kind of slap yourself in the forehead and go, oh, "Yeah, of course." But you're the first person on this podcast to actually mention that that we need to be mobile first. True. Which to so, me is insane. Like that's it is insane now that you mention it. 
It's like, oh my God, how did we miss something so freaking obvious? Yeah. I mean, I think I saw a lot of this too in India. Um, I went and vacationed uh, last summer. Um, so one of my good friends is running an app called market.xyz, uh, which is like a DeFi uh, a project. And um, we rented an apartment in Goa, which was totally empty. There were no tourists. I think it was still during COVID. And um, it was just kind of a, he, he had his his apartment next to mine where he was just working like crazy and he had all his engineers packed in the, the apartment. And then I had just kind of vacationing and learning about uh, DeFi. And it was really crazy because they were moving, they were doing trades um, using their phones. So they would, you know, have one phone, they'd scan their, their multi-sig wallet and it was all mobile first. You know, they were doing really complex uh, trades on their platform just with their phones. And I said, this is insane. This is really where the, the future is heading. Um, and I learned a lot about DeFi and, um, you know, became more, more excited about Ethereum. Um, so it's, uh, it was really interesting. It's really interesting to see these things. So outside of uh, IoT and, and DeFi, you know, what, what's one thing that, you, that you're really, really interested in? And it, it doesn't even need to be like in regards to blockchain or crypto. I'm just kind of curious, like, what does a, a genius kind of think about in his spare time? So I'm really interested in hardware. Now, again, we have a saying, we say hardware kills, like the hardware will kill startups. Um, and in this environment, I mean, it's, you have to be insane to build hardware, but to me, like all software runs on hardware and we're in a really cool time in history where the software is defining the hardware. So if you look, you know, in the past, the, the software was defined by the hardware. So you'd build some hardware and then you'd run some code that, you know, runs on the on the hardware. Now we're in a world where we have some software. People are saying, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if we had this type of software that could do this? And then now they're actually custom designing the hardware uh, for the software. And so you're looking, Tesla's doing this with their self-driving hardware for cars. Apple's doing this for their, their, their computers. And so I'm saying, well, what would happen if you start to custom design hardware just for blockchain and for Web3? Mm. And, you know, it's certainly not going to be a little hardware wallet. We have to click a thousand little times to, you know, access and stuff. You know, what does what the next generation of that look like? And so I have my head always in antennas and small computers. And, and I say, well, what is, what is the cheapest way that you can build a computer at the, the, the highest scale? And uh, it looks like to be, you can print it. And so we're actually looking really closely now at a bunch of startups that are building computers that are printed so imagine a sticker um, oh, like and we're talking like a 3d printer like a big clunky thing or are you talking about like a almost like a piece of paper it's like a print it's like a, a newspaper Sweet God. and so they're they're printing these uh computers you know with an arm chip hardware security built in sensors um i'm sure they'll all be solar powered in the future and so i'm i'm really interested to say okay what happens when you have a sticker that has more computing than my smartphone and it costs a dollar we'll, we'll be there in a decade or two right now it's you know not very smart but it you know it still has an arm chip built into it and so i, I spent a lot of time just thinking what what does that enable especially on the nodal network but what, what happens when you have a computer that's a dollar that's yeah. really intelligent that's kind of you know everywhere and and and, and everything becomes hyper connected and how do you make sure that that's a world that we want to live in um, and a world that's really fun? So, And this really actually, you know, to kind of round things out and, and bringing things to the present, like, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody who's listening, yourself, you know, everybody at home as well. I mean, there's this wild chip shortage in the world because yep. of, you know, you know, all of them are made in Taiwan mm. and you need neon gas in order to etch these, um, you know, the lasers onto the chips. And now because yeah. things are going on in Ukraine, like, you know, you can't get big exports of neon gas. There's like all these weird things. So like there's this massive, massive like chip shortage in this crunch. But yeah. is that going to change? And is this just like, you know, forcing us to adapt and build new forms of uh, chips or, or what's kind of going on in that world? Yeah, it's uh it's, it's a huge problem. The U.S. just signed an act, the CHIPS Act, I think it was last week, um, to mandate uh, building of these chips in the United States, the, the whole supply chain. So it'll take probably a year or two. Um, but the uh, yeah, it's a huge issue. I mean, if you want to build hardware, it's a one-year lead time 
to do anything. And so that's really slowing down a lot of these uh, other hardware projects. The beauty with Bluetooth is there's already tons of Bluetooth devices out there and we see a lot of them with our network. And so it's uh, it, it's a really great um, a great way to to onboard and connect devices. But yeah, I'm pretty excited about you know domestically produced chips. I think that's going to be pretty exciting. It's going to put a lot of pressure on um, you know different countries to to build better products and build lower cost. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, there's this amazing uh, YouTube video called that discusses this whole thing. It's on a channel called Real Life Lore which is my new favorite YouTube channel. It's like more good information packed into a 10 minute video than an entire like college yeah. course. Oh, yeah. But it talks about how all the semiconductors are being built in Taiwan. And because yeah. of the nature of these facilities, like China will probably never risk invading it because if they're damaged, like it screws China more than everyone because they're their top customer. But yeah. that same company that owns all these plants in Taiwan is now building one here in the U S and Arizona as we speak. So yeah, it looks like they are going to, you know, resolve this, but it's probably going to take another couple of years before yeah. things are more readily available. They call it the Silicon Shield of, of Taiwan. And so, I mean, just geopolitically, it's super fascinating. Another cool thing that people don't like to talk about is one of the waste materials for manufacturing these chips and these rare earth minerals is uh, essentially radioactive waste, which uh, called monazite ore, uh, which contains thorium. And so... Uh, one of the sounds cool like a Marvel movie chips. Yeah, uh, one of the cool things about this chip manufacturing is one of the waste materials of it uh, you can actually use uh, for energy. And so there's actually people building you know really powerful, really safe next generation reactors using uh, this uh, this waste material from all these chips. And so I've actually been calling people up and saying you know kind of jokingly, kind of not saying hey you know uh, can I have this waste you know you should pay me and I'll take it away from you. And so I think there's actually a really cool business model to be made in the future for essentially gathering as much energy as you would need to power the whole United States for the next century um, and essentially getting it for free because it's waste. Um, so anyway, wow. it's a really interesting time to be alive. Well, let us know when you do a token raise for that, for sure. <laughs> for, uh, for reactors. Yeah. yeah we we got to get no reactors. Feet, uh, it's feed first, but. <laughs> Um, there is a really interesting correlation between information and energy, which we're still kind of exploring, but it's uh, it's pretty cool. So yeah, there's some people that are re even referring to uh, to Bitcoin as like this money battery, um, which I think is a pretty you know interesting concept. Yeah. Um, you know the fact and people that are bashing Bitcoin for its energy, but it's like I mean you know everything uses dollar. energy. It's like everybody like kind of poo poos things that like use energy. But I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, man, like EVs use energy, like electric vehicles. Like where, how does that electricity get generated? Of course it's from like, you know, like, a, 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 yeah. you know, well, oil. That's, that's what's cool is because we're, you know, the, the extent to which civilization can expand is directly linked to energy. And so, you know, you went oh. from, uh, you know, the, the Roman, some people hypothesize the Roman empire fell because they ran out of firewood and then you had the British Empire rise uh, because of steam. And then that steam-powered engine the American Empire rise because of, of petrochemicals. And we're still at this age of petrochemicals. Really, it's been the past hundred years. All of our geopolitics, all of our everything has been defined by who's got the oil. And we're at the beginning of this new transition to, to the nuclear age, probably potentially the fusion age as well. And you know, usually during these transition periods, a lot of weird stuff happens. But uh, we're just at the beginning of this new transition. So we have to look really, really carefully at, at what's happening because things like energy will become much cheaper. Mm. Things like manufacturing hydrogen, which you can use to power jets and aircraft and, and all kinds of things, um, will also become exponentially cheaper as well. Taking seawater and turning it into fresh water um, is going gonna, is gonna to get cheaper, probably at a nonlinear rate. And so all these interesting, you know, exponential curves are going to converge and we're going to see some really, really fun stuff start to happen. Um, so I'm, I'm extremely optimistic about the future. Um, but again, keep, keep an eye on that because we are in a totally transitional stage here in uh, civilization. So, yeah, um, and I'm, it, does, I'm it does feel like that. Yeah, it totally feels like there's, there's lots of transitions and geopolitics is just getting skewed and, you know, new alliances are being forged and broken yeah. and you're, you're hearing these, you know, prime ministers or presidents come out and take very hard line stances now. 
And, yeah. uh, and it all comes back to energy and, and it's, and it all comes back to, to who's going to control the means of production, you mm-hmm. know? So it's, it's a wild time. Um, Garrett, we, we, we've only got a few minutes left here and I want to make sure that I, uh, ask you a very important question and mm-hmm. it's basically how do people who are listening right now get involved in the nodal network? How do they say, Hey, I share the same vision as this guy. I love what he's doing. And I kind of want to, you know, follow along or, or, or get involved in some capacity. Yeah. So the easiest way is you can download the nodal cash app and earn crypto on your phone. Uh, so we have a lot of cool features coming with it, but yeah, we've got people actually, they're Uber drivers or truck drivers, people, you know, mounting this to their bicycle and riding around the city. So just download nodal cash, check it out earn crypto on your phone and help participate in this network that can hopefully uh, totally shift how the internet works fundamentally. And uh, so, yeah, check out the Nodal Cash app. Also, if you have any crazy ideas of sensors that you might want to connect or, uh, or, or things you want to build on the Nodal network, get in touch. Uh, we have a Telegram group uh, or shoot us an email and uh, we'll, uh, we would love to, to hear your, your wild ideas as to what you want to build on the Nodal network. Love it. I, I think I already see Aaron's mind churning. I bet he's going to be joining the telegram and, uh, you know, spitting out some funky ideas because he's, he's also oh, I've been in there for like a year already. <laughs> just, just idling though. I, I will have to contribute some more. Love it. Um, uh, Garrett, we can't, uh, can't let you know how much we appreciate your time today. It's always fun getting to talk with you. And we definitely want to come have you come back on the show again soon to talk about more updates. And maybe yeah. we just have like a geopolitics just special or something talking about energy. Because <laughs> I think, I, I mean, unfortunately, I, I got to that line of questioning way too late in the episode. And I'm like, I want to keep going, but we got to we got to let you go. I know everybody's got a hard yeah, Happy to ramble about that. Uh, and um, we, we think that, yeah, again, can, information and energy are, are more linked than we, we think. And so we think nodal uh will enable some really cool economics that just couldn't exist anywhere else so love it man thank you so much for coming on the show and we wish you all the best thank you this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Grainger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done.